Welcome to episode 39 of the Dynamic Wit Comedy. This is kind of a special, unique episode, but before we start this episode, let's go over a few comedy events that are happening. First off, this Friday, as in two days from now, Friday, October 20th, at the Coral Cafe off of the Hurricane Exit, I will be uh, performing. I'll be opening up for the great J.D. Fagan, Fagan, Fagan? And uh, Pete Jr. and a few others on that show. Uh, Ed Tracy, thanks for putting that one on. And then the following Friday, on the 27th, there is a comedy event at the Social District here in town, of which I will also be performing, working out new material. So if you're in the St. George area, this Friday at the Coral Cafe, and next Friday at the Social District, I will be there. Um, Today's episode, look. I've prided myself on not being too vulgar or saying the F word or, or anything like that on this podcast. However, today we're going to be playing some clips of some comedians that the language barrier is going to get broken. We're going to hear some inappropriate things, but you kind of have to. Uh, today we're breaking down the 10 most important comedians in stand-up comedy that's helped shape what comedy is today. Hope you enjoy it. I used to do the same thing as a child. Sit in my closet and pretend to talk to imaginary listeners. You're not going to make sense of this. No matter how you try and word this, it's not going to work. I know that I look and sound like Napoleon Dynamite had a baby with Ray Romano. It's going to be a good show. Welcome to the Dynamic Wit Comedy Show. Okay, here we go. The 39th episode, uh, Breaking Down. The 10 most uh, important comedians which have, which have helped shape what stand-up comedy is today. Now, before we get into this list, we need to specify a few things. Number one, this is not a list of the 10 best comedians of all time. This is not a list of my favorite comedians. This is not a list of the funniest comedians. This is a list of what I consider the 10 most important comedians which have shaped what stand-up comedy is today. There are names on this list that I don't necessarily even like listening to their comedy, but they do hold a place of value in the comedy world. Some of these names you might not disagree with. Some of these names, I know one of these names a lot of people are going to hate that I even mention, but I promise at the end of the episode, we'll make it okay. The other thing you need to know is this is not in any particular order. I'm going to list 10 of these comedians and it's not going to be like, okay, number 10, number nine, eight, seven, six. And the most important comedian ever is number. No, it's not that this is just 10 names that give what stand up comedy is today, a certain value and uh, things like that. So, uh, so with all that being said, hang in there with me. It's not going to be too long of an episode, but it's certainly going to be longer than the average 10 minutes of what we're, we're used to doing between the, in, you know, intro, the intro music and this intro, we're already pushing three minutes. So, um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you agree, disagree, please feel free to comment, send an email, dynamicwitcomedy at gmail.com. Be thrilled to get your opinions on this. So, with that being said, let's start with the first name on this list. Will Elizabeth Taylor become bar mitzvahed? 
I promise continuity, I'll behave myself. I'll do all the lines where he hurts, you know. That's the thing, you know. I have a, a reputation for being sort of controversial and irreverent and also the semantic bear trap of bad taste. And actually, I do have, and I will always be accused of bad taste by the people who eat in restaurants to reserve service, you know, that kind of scene to anyone, yeah. But you might be interested in how I became offensive. That was the voice of the first list, first name on this list. That was Lenny Bruce. Now listen, the first guy through the wall always gets bloody. The world really probably was not ready for Lenny Bruce, but the only way we know that the world wasn't ready is because Lenny Bruce had to exist. And he was controversial. He said things and did things strictly because it would be breaking the rules. And several times he was arrested for his humor and his jokes. For example, on October 4th, 1961, he was arrested for uh, obscenity at the uh, jazz workshop in San Francisco. He had used the word cocksucker and he did get acquitted. The jury acquitted him. Other law enforcement agencies began to monitor his appearance and resulted in frequent arrests under uh, using obscenity charges. What a different world we live in where now it's rare to watch a comedian not use obscenities. Yet this guy was also arrested on December 5th, 1962. Uh... Let's see, in that year, he played Peter Cook's The Establishment Club in London. And in April the next year, he was barred from performing in the entire United Kingdom because of his obscenities. And in April of 1964, twice at the Cafe Agogo in Greenwich Village, which is in New York City, undercover police detectives were at his show. And they arrested Lenny Bruce along with the club owners uh, who were, they were all arrested on the same obscene charges. They were arrested for letting him perform these, these jokes there. And here's the thing. They didn't arrest him during the performance. They arrested him after the performance. My guess is because they were probably laughing during the performance, but then were told to arrest him afterward. Lenny Bruce had this understanding that he was not going to be liked by everyone and that that's okay. He wanted to push the envelope and he did whatever he wanted to do. And after being arrested many times, he still kept coming back to it. If you have that kind of mentality in your life where you know what you want and you go after and attack it no matter what, that will give you a sense of power. You're going to get some bruises, but you're going to have some power. And I think ultimately we see Lenny Bruce's influence in, in comedy today for the better and for the worse. You see a lot of open micers thinking they can go do that and be Lenny Bruce. Well, they can't be Lenny Bruce because Lenny Bruce already existed. So anyone who does it now, you know, in the worst case scenario, they go up and they're just crude and it's not that funny. But you do see a lot of people who can be, use obscene, you know, obscene gestures and obscene language, but they can also make it funny. And that is absolutely an influence back to Lenny Bruce. All right, let's go to the next name on our list. We put together a list of phrases that you will never hear. 
we started this about a month ago, and we said probably one phrase that's the least often used phrase in the entire world was, that's the banjo player's Porsche. <laughs> you, you just don't hear that very often. So we, we came up with some phrase, we guarantee these will just never come up in casual conversation. Example, here's the first one. That's Mr. Rogers to you, and stay the hell out of my neighborhood. <laughs> that is the uh, unmistakable voice of Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, absolutely, he's going to be on this list. He's the person who, he's probably the first person who could make you laugh just by the expression on his face. If a joke didn't work, he had a way of looking at the camera or the audience and it would still make them laugh. Like bombing to him almost made the situation funnier. And yeah, he anointed several of the biggest comedians ever. Steve Martin, Jerry Seinfeld, Drew Carey, Eddie Murphy, like a ton of people who would go on his show. The goal was to go on a show and do good enough that Johnny would call you over to the couch. And if he did that, you had a career in comedy. But here's where his importance comes out, uh, at least in my opinion. Even after he was retired, he would have comedians come over to his house and they would just write jokes together. He just loved comedy. He made a lot of money doing it. And yeah, he had his issues with, with abuse and alcohol and women and all that. But at the end of the day, he was absolutely a comedy purist. And I think that gets lost on people, especially in comedy, where they get a little bit of success or the fame and the fortune or whatever. And they lose that fire in them, which is why they started doing it in the first place. And that never left Johnny Carson. David Letterman, Norm MacDonald, several comedians talk about how years after Johnny was retired, he would call them up and they would just trade jokes back and forth and try and improve each other's jokes. And that is something that I think is absolutely amazing and is absolutely lost on people. All right, let's go to the next name. Uh, another one that most everyone who knows anything about stand-up comedy should recognize. But say what you want about America, land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers, you know? Yeah. Now, obviously, that doesn't include this audience. I understand that. You seem intelligent and perceptive, but the rest of them, holy jumping fucking shitballs. Dumber than a second coat of paint. George Carlin. Uh, another unmistakable, just his cadence and his voice, unmistakable. Uh, while Lenny Bruce stood up to police authority, George Carlin took standing up to authority to, to a new level. Uh, he had no problem making fun of government or its rules or touchy subjects such as abortion and racism. And while at the same time, he was also voicing a children's show in the 80s called Thomas the Train. You know, Lenny Bruce would attack authority to be shocking and for the sake of attacking. George Carlin did it, but he was like a wordsmith. And he could dissect right through anything, but he would also do it in the funniest way possible. Any comedian you watch now who's very particular about the words that they use, such as Jerry Seinfeld, it's because of George Carlin. Words were everything. The right word at the right place makes the joke amazing. 
and the wrong word at the wrong place kills the joke. It was that specific. And if you listen to how George Carlin used his words, particularly if you go back and listen to him talking about the differences between baseball and football, it's amazing. He is a surgeon when it came to words and, and, and timing and comedy. So that's his importance uh, and his influence on stand-up today. All right. Next name on our list. Dentists tell you not to pick your teeth with any sharp metal object. Then you sit in their chair. And the first thing they grab is an iron hook. And they start to pick in an area that you came to get fixed. And I found out something about myself while the dentist was doing that. I found out if I was ever paralyzed from the knee down, I'd be able to walk with my behind. Because the whole time he kept doing that, I just kept... Sit up. I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. Sit up. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm... Now the dentist pulls out a needle. This is to deaden the pain. All right. This is one. It's going to be tough to sell because of recent events, and I understand it. Uh, don't stop listening yet. I'm sure some of you have, but I have to put Bill Cosby on this list. Let me preface this by saying Bill Cosby is an absolute monster, no excuses about it. But just for the next two minutes while I discuss Bill Cosby, let's separate the rape from his work he did in stand-up comedy. If you've ever watched Bill Cosby himself, it's amazing. And if you've never watched it, you probably should. That's the name of his special, Bill Cosby himself. That's the name of his comedy special, not the Purple Drink Raper. Um, you're missing out if you've never seen it. He made going to the dentist sound like the funniest story ever. I have two kids that are ages uh, four and two. They're my younger ones. As you know, I've got Gavin, my stepson. I absolutely count him as one of my kids, just to be clear. Uh, but where my two younger kids more than once a week, will start singing, dad is great. Give us the chocolate cake. And that's because it's a funny song that I knew from Bill Cosby and they've heard me sing it. And then they start singing it. You need to understand before all the allegations and the, and the charges came out, Bill Cosby was doing a stand up comedy show that was two and a half hours long and he was doing it two and a half hours straight without taking a break or an intermission. The dude could barely even walk. He did it from sitting in a chair and he influenced everyone who saw him. Unfortunately, all of his work and comedic genius is going to be tarnished as it probably should be because of all the allegations. But if you're able to separate his performance from his evil, you'll understand that especially in the time frame he was at his peak. What he was doing in the 60s and 70s, both black people and white people loved him. That is unheard of for that time frame in history. Think about Bill Russell. He has more championship rings than 
anyone in history. And there are still white old racist men who hate him, not because he was playing for the Celtics, but because he was black. Nobody hated Bill Cosby until Hannibal Burris exposed him for the monster that he is. I know this is a tough sell to say he's important because what he did was atrocious. But even his evil influenced some great comedy. I'm going to play you this clip just to reiterate that Bill Cosby is a monster. But listen to Norm MacDonald turn what Bill Cosby was into a comedy gem. <laughs> but a guy was just telling me, hey, listen, Bill Cosby, first of all, <laughs> is my, you know, he's my hero ever since I was a kid because I always wanted to be like him and uh, I got his albums, tried to emulate him, and, but I didn't like his stand-up, but I like <laughs> the way he was as a man. Because this was before they didn't say he was a rapist on the fucking liner notes of the albums, you know? <laughs> As my buddy said, he said, the worst part about Cosby was he was a hypocrite. And I said, I don't think that was the worst part. <laughs> to me, the worst part was the raping. Way up high. And then the second would be the drugging. Then the third would be the, the scheming. But anyways, hypocrisy would be way fucking down the line, you know, like on the fourth page or some shit. Like, I'm no expert, but I think probably uh, most uh, rapists are hypocrites. You know what I mean? You don't meet a lot of guys go, I like to rape, I don't give a fuck. I know it's not a politically correct thing to say, but I like raping. Go, goddamn! At least he's not a hypocrite. That's the worst. That's the worst part of it. All right. So we've established Bill Cosby was funny, but he's a monster. Okay, let's move on to the next name in our list. Moving on through. Clint, I say with due respect. 28 years ago, we did Kelly's Heroes, and I haven't heard from you since. Clint, I say it, nobody else has said it, and I say it from my heart. You're a lousy actor. Spielberg and all these guys at the table, we know Clint, I know you. Clint's idea of a good time is sitting on a pickup truck watching his dog bark. <laughs> Mother Eastwood is laughing, knowing damn well you never had so much money in your whole life. Your son played the bass, we sat through that. Probably your daughter will come up here and do the tango. Mr. Warmth. Don Rickles. Oh my gosh. If there's anyone who's made me laugh 
for all the right and wrong reasons, it's Don Rickles. Uh, obviously, very funny guy. His perfection was roasting people and making fun of people. Uh, go ahead and type in Don Rickles into YouTube. In any video that pops up, you're going to laugh. Whether it's a video from the 60s or 70s or right up before he died in 2017, the man was hilarious. And the most peculiar thing about him is he never went on stage with a prepared act. He simply made something funny on the spot. He'd walk up and down the aisles at his shows and he'd make fun of people on the spot. There's a clip of him going up and down the aisles. He's a little bit older, but he sees this Japanese guy. He said, what are you, Japanese? The guy says, yeah. He goes, I spent three years in a jungle looking for your father. And just off the cuff, that wit. Yeah, you know what? He could be vicious. He could be racist. He could be sexist. But also, he could be self-deprecating. And at the end of all of it, he was filled with love for everyone that he made fun of. He would always end by telling whoever he was making fun of that he absolutely loved him. Whether it was the audience or, or Dean Martin or whoever. The guy loved people. And the way he showed you love was to just zing you and it's just an art that's, you know, if anyone's ever been a perfect example of not getting offended, it's him. Absolutely very important influence on what comedy is today. All right. Next name. We're getting closer. Hang in there. I love when white dudes get mad and cuss, Because right? y'all some funny motherfuckers when you cuss. Right? They be saying shit like, yeah, come on, peckerhead. Do you know who that was? Obviously, you know, it wasn't a white guy. That was the voice of um, Richard Pryor. I served my mission, my LDS mission in, in New York City, part of which was Harlem. Richard Pryor's influence is everywhere in that city. But as far as comedy goes... Um, Here's my thoughts on Richard Pryor. First off, in one of his specials, I don't remember which one. I think it was filmed at the Hollywood Bowl or something. The lights are still on in the venue. It's still light outside. And he just walks out on stage and starts. Not everyone has even sat down yet. And he just walks out on stage and begins. Why did he do that? Well, if you listen to a podcast with Mark Marin, WTF, where he interviewed Jim Carrey, they talked about this moment. Jim Carrey, who knew Richard Pryor well... He says it's because in addition to stand-up comedy and making an audience laugh, Richard just wanted to have human moments, real, genuine moments that were not staged. So he did things differently, such as walking out on stage before the lights had even gone out or people had sat down. He also gave some very important advice that, um, that I've ever heard of anyone giving, but he gave it to Jim Carrey one night after... Uh, shows at the comedy store. The two of them were out in the parking lot smoking a joint. You can you can see Jim Carrey tell this story on that podcast interview with Mark Maron or on Jimmy Kimmel. And they're smoking a joint, and Richard Pryor looks at the joint and tells Jim Carrey to be careful with this stuff because he can't remember his life for the past twenty years of all the stuff on stage. He says it's not sure he's not sure it was really if it was him or the or the weed. The drugs. Um, that's incredible advice to give someone, especially Jim Carrey in his heyday, uh, to be careful with the drugs. But um, 
here's one of the more important lessons from Richard Pryor and where his influence in my mind stands. He had his demons. He lit himself on fire. He was trying to commit suicide. He survived it. And after he survived it, he was open about it. There's a clip somewhere of a reporter who was trying to soften it and ask him a question, ask him maybe if it was some sort of protest or something like that. And Pryor simply just said, no, I was trying to die. And later on, he had a stand-up comedy special where he lit a match on the stage. And while the match was lit, he's bobbing it up and down going, look, it's me. Not many people will publicly admit or talk about their demons and then have the balls to make fun of it. He did. You see that more and more today, but I think that's absolutely one of his better influence, influential moments and aspects about him that stands out in, in comedy today. So, all right, enough about men. Let's get into a woman. Okay, not, not like Bill Cosby got into a woman, but let's talk about a, a female comedian who's absolutely influential. And all people... All people that buy at Costco. I, it, am I wrong? Why are you buying at Costco? Why are you 93 years old? Why are you buying 18 large jars of mayonnaise? What is your problem? You're not even going to make it to the goddamn checkout counter, you old crumb. Joan Rivers. First female on this list. Not the last. But for, for sure, the first. So let's talk a little bit about Joan Rivers um, and her impact on what comedy is today. Admittedly, I don't know much about Joan Rivers. I've seen clips. I've heard stories. So I can't sit here and speak very intelligently about her. However, when she was coming up as a comedian, as it was called in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, think about the misogynistic world that she had to do this in. You either had to have a great voice or be willing to show a lot of your body in order to be a big hit in Hollywood. Joan comes out and she becomes a guest host of The Tonight Show in the 80s. She broke down a lot of barriers for female com comics and performers alike. She had a spine where she stood for what she believed. She could take a joke and she could dish a joke. Which a lot of comedians can dish jokes, but a lot of them can't take jokes. And the fact that she was doing that at a time where women were much, much larger looked down on, even more so than they are today, that's a great influence to have. And in large part, inspired the next name on our list. That whole fitness thing runs in my family, though, I think. that My grandmother started walking five miles a day when she was 60. She's 97 today, and we don't know where the hell she is. Ellen DeGeneres, female number two. On this list, uh, like Joan Rivers, she broke down some doors, especially for female comedians and, and her influence. But at the same time, she broke down a different kind of barrier. True. She helped break down the four further as, as Joan Rivers did, as I mentioned, but she was also the first female stand-up comedian that Johnny Carson ever anointed and called over to the couch. Absolutely huge. But later on, in life, she also had a very popular sitcom and a bunch of HBO stand-up specials and stuff happening. Um, and in the midst of this, 
in like the prime peak of of what of what we figured was her prime peak, where the world wasn't really sure how to feel about gay people, early mid nineties, she decided to publicly come out of the closet as gay, which ultimately cost her her sitcom and a lot of fans, and yet. She still stands as one of the most beloved celebrities by a lot of people. Basically, anyone who's never worked for her likes her. (laughs) I didn't like her show, but I do enjoy her stand-up. I think she's funny. And I think she's paved the way for a lot of people, including some of my favorites, mainly Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon makes me laugh hard on Saturday Night Live, and she's very open about her her herself being gay, but especially about the influence in which Ellen created for her. So absolutely, we look at uh, Ellen DeGeneres as one of the more influential people in comedy. All right, we've gone through eight names. Hang in there. We got two more to go. Two more to go. We got this. Because as you know, your friend, your friend of yours is taking over here next May. And uh, you... I'm sorry, what did you say? I said... (laughs) (laughs) And there were all these things in the paper... I'm a little nervous. There were were rumors in the paper you were going to firebomb NBC. You were going to do all these... Well, I hate waiting in lines, but I'd do it. (laughs) Obviously, that was Johnny Carson. And there was two people talking there. But since we've already talked about Johnny Carson... We are absolutely talking about the other voice heard in that clip. That is the unmistakable voice of David Letterman. Now, very influential to me as I would stay up late as a kid to watch Late Night with David Letterman. And I'd always stay up with my dad to watch the top 10 list every night. But even further than that, he would also have comedians on his show that he helped develop. And he helped develop a few different sitcoms, which including Everybody Loves Raymond, and he inspired a lot of comedians. Jim Carrey credits David Letterman for being very big in his life and his career. Norm MacDonald, Adam Sandler, and several others got emotional on David Letterman's last week of television. Uh, he means a lot and meant a lot to a lot of people, but talking from my own personal opinion, here's his greatest influence. He was not a sheep. The man had balls. Yes, he would use corporate money to drop bowling balls and birthday cakes off of buildings. And yes, he filmed a whole show on the inside of an airplane. But when the brass at NBC chose Jay Leno over a deserving David Letterman to replace Johnny Carson on the night show, he did the opposite of what a lot of people do. A lot of people would probably, you know, brown nose and and try and you know, kiss up even more to the execs at NBC and try and do whatever they say. Letterman said, F you. And then he left the network and he had no sure certainty. He felt disrespected and he was out. He kept his dignity. And then he finally found a home at CBS and he just killed it. And then later on, someone tried to blackmail him. They threatened him uh, with, they threatened to leak information they had about David Letterman having inappropriate relationships with interns on his show. And while a lot of people would try and hide information like that and try and keep it a secret, Letterman gets the guy arrested and rather than keep it a secret, 
he goes on his show and just lets it all out. He admits to everything that he had done. He never denied any of the allegations. He apologized publicly to his wife and his fans, and he owned it. That takes the power away from anyone trying to blackmail him. He proved that you're not going to win an argument or a fight against him. If you believe something, sign your name to it and you stand by it. He's absolutely the best example of that in all of show business that I've ever seen, with the exception of the last person we're going to talk about on this list. The next one's a little harder. I want to see if you can guess who it is I'm doing an impression of. All right, let me get into character. You got to guess who it is, though. <clears throat> okay, here it goes. Uh, duh, hey, duh, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh, and I find out about it, I'm going to try to take everything away from you. And I don't care what I find out. It could be today, tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now. If I find out, you're fucking duh, finished. Who, who's that? That's you. That's what the audience sounds like to me. Dave Chappelle. You had to know it was coming. This is another one where some people aren't going to like that I have him on here, and I understand that. But I'm going to reiterate something Kevin Hart and Joe Rogan have said about Dave Chappelle, talking about what the last five years with cancel culture and comedians being under scrutiny and, and being held accountable for things that they've tweeted 10 years ago. In the heat of all that and everything else going on in the world, Chappelle, with no apologies, has kept going with his style of comedy. I understand if you don't like him. I understand if you don't like his political stances. I understand if you really are disgusted with him. I get it. But again, he doesn't care if you like him or not. He understands that not all comedy is for everyone. Trying to force someone to like a particular style of comedy is like trying to force someone to like a type of food that they don't really like. People have different tastes and that's okay. But just because you disagree with something doesn't mean you should try and ruin what the other person enjoys or is saying. And maybe Chappelle says it in offensive ways, but that's Chappelle's whole message. Believe what you believe and say what you want to say, and you don't need to apologize for it. Man up. We've talked about people on this list who have stood up to law enforcement and executives and government and cultural beliefs. Dave Chappelle stood up to Hollywood. He told them to go screw itself. He walked away from $30 million at the peak of the Chappelle show because he didn't like what was going on in Hollywood. That is balls. So there it is. Those are the 10 most influential stand-up comedians that have influenced what comedy has become today. You might disagree with some of it. You might agree with some of it. Whatever your thoughts or feelings on it, I'm just glad you listened. I appreciate it. Let me know if you have other lists or, or anything, thoughts, dynamicwitcomedy at gmail.com or comment on the, the podcast itself. So there we have it. We did it. We got through it. This is one of the longer episodes we've had here. And I appreciate you listening. Uh, tune in next time, probably a week from today, next Wednesday for the next episode. We'll report on the comedy show this Friday and get ready for the show the following Friday. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy. Keep laughing. I haven't hit stopped recording it because I'm an idiot. All right. Bye.